Welcome to the CCA on the Air podcast. My name is Brandon Protus, and I am the Assistant Vice President for Alliance Engagement at Complete College America. Today on CCA on the Air, we are speaking with Dr. Matt Bergman. He is an Associate Professor of Organizational Leadership at the University of Louisville, and he is also one of our Complete College America Fellows. Today, we're going to be discussing credit for prior learning, as well as marketing to returning adults and how these all fit together. So first of all, welcome, Matt. Thanks so much for having me, Brandon. So let's just start off, and could you talk a little bit about the concept of credit for prior learning for some of our listeners who are new to this? So credit for prior learning has been around for a very long time, upwards of 70 years. We used to call it prior learning assessment, but the Council on Adult and Experiential Learning has evolved that language to really reflect truly what this is about. And that is college level and credit worthy learning being assessed and valued for academic credit. So those things that happen outside the confines of the college walls that were college level can now be translated into academic credit. Okay, so you use the word assessed and valued. I know there's different ways that that can happen. Can you talk about those? There are a range of ways that we do that. And we do that ranging from dual credit and advanced placement or AP. But then we're looking more to serve adults through this process and make sure we value and acknowledge what they've done. We do that through places like CLEP or the College Level Exam Placement or DSST Dante's. And those are standard um, assessments through testing. There's also the possibility of course match and then category-based credit through portfolio uh, evaluation. And those are done through either individual assessment by faculty or through an actual academic course that's embedded into these adult-friendly majors. What we do at the University of Louisville is a uh, combination of this PLA through portfolio, but we also try to acknowledge and value um, their work through the CLEP and DSST. So we have a lot of pathways for individuals to make sure that we value, accept, and honor what they know so that they're not re recreating or um, retaking many of those classes. So when you're doing this portfolio review and you're trying to say that this is the same as a college course, what are you looking for? How do you show that somebody's professional experience and what they've done in their job is equal to, to learning in a classroom? How do you do that in a portfolio review? Well, there's a range of ways to validate that learning, and we're very thankful for the American Council on Education for sending many, many uh, hundreds of faculty out to assess a range of learning that occurs both at the corporate and the military level um, to, to really evaluate what's been done there to assess learning objectives. Just like we do for regular academic courses, we look at learning objectives and match those to competencies so that we can evaluate and uh, basically place credit on those learning objectives being met. We do that through a writing process called a life learning narrative or a work autobiography. And we, alongside so many institutions, have developed forms and a very formulaic approach so that students have uh, a guidance, but also can demonstrate the mastery of the competencies that they have accrued over their experience in the workforce and beyond. So, I mean, this kind of points to 
this myth that I'm wondering if we could talk about and, and I think even dispel that, and particularly maybe for people outside of education, they may hear of this and say, you're just giving away credits where when a student's in a class, they're earning those credits. Um, what, what do you think about that myth? Well, it's absolutely a myth that's been dispelled by the empirical literature. Oftentimes, um, there is concern that we're giving away academic credits and basically taking away potential revenue to the institution. So I think about administration being uh, worried about losing actual tuition revenue that could have been otherwise collected by having those folks take credits. Well, what we've seen through the PLA Boost research uh, by the Council on Adult and Experiential Learning, or CAO, uh, is that students are actually graduating faster um, and um, also at a higher rate, but they're actually taking more academic credit. And that may seem counterintuitive, but the fact remains that when you retain a student or a population of students that oftentimes do not persist at high levels, the minute you retain them at a higher level, you have a net positive revenue. Also, you are acknowledging and valuing a human being that has a laundry list of successes in life and trying to dig in and understand and navigate those competencies with those people empowers those students to really excel in the classroom. As we all know that those folks that have worked with adults, they are very mission driven. They are very committed to getting high grades. So when you infuse this process into um, the evolution of an institution, you start to become, um, have converts of individuals that have maybe had a bad experience previously. Now they absolutely love learning. And so many of our students, and I know many institutions that work uh, in programs like mine, see those individuals say, get me to the finish line as fast as possible at the beginning. But at the end, they say, I love learning. I can't believe you've acknowledged and valued what I've done. I, I want to know about a graduate degree. I love learning. Tell me about that. I know that report, the PLA boost that you referenced, it's a great report. And in there, it talks about, I mean, not to put too much of a fine point on it. It's not just that students graduate faster because of their credit for prior learning, but students who engage in CPL actually go on to take more credits than their match counterparts, right? So it's this boost, not just for the, the credits that they get through this, this through this process, but then they're doing more on top of that. So I think that there's a, a real power to that. You know, today we really wanted to connect credit for prior learning with a focus on adult learners and this really specific population. Um, how do you see this strategy being leveraged for adult learners? Like, why is it important specifically to this group of students? I think there are many paths to prosperity for higher education. As we know that we have ranges of institutions that are experiencing declines in enrollment. And I think CPL is one of many strategies, but one in particular that can make a dramatic impact on the prosperity of higher education. And I believe that for three reasons specifically, because of what it does first for students. It helps individuals persist to graduation at a higher rate and finish at a faster pace, number one. So that's fantastic. Also, it creates the possibility of having less debt because you have taken less classes potentially. Um, but connecting this number two to uh, external partners is the reciprocal partnership that we need in colleges and universities to achieve the true, uh, true um, 
ability to make such a broader impact on society. So it's kind of this prosperity uh, prospect that if we engage employers at a higher rate, acknowledge what they've done in those and with those employers for academic credit, then the employers have to spend less on tuition assistance. They also have a newly skilled up individual that is ready to be more engaged and more uh, likely to be retained at that particular institution or uh, organization. And lastly, the third piece is us, universities. We benefit in so many ways if we partner with these uh, working learners and with employers because we now have places and direct connections to send our graduates, but also to connect back for incumbent workers to skill up. And we know backwards and forwards with those industry partners that we are supplying incredibly rich content that's relevant, that is greatly upscaling these individuals, but also we're saving those industry partners money through the CPL process. So it's a win-win-win situation in my estimation. How do you, how do you get the adult learners to your door? I, I'm not talking about the students who are already um, gone through orientation or set to register for classes, you know, we can talk about a process for them, but I'm hearing you talk about engaging employers, and I'm thinking about the adults who may have foregone their higher education or thought this wasn't for them, where here's some direct bridges for them, but how do we reach them? How do, how do, we, how do we bring them to our colleges and universities? Well, we certainly have to have a compelling message, and I often think that is best uh, that that case is best made by the actual people that are coming through our programs, telling their stories, telling their compelling narratives of what this education has meant for their trajectory in life, but also for the trajectory of their family is truly inspirational for the broader public that is considering. It oftentimes dispels some of those concerns and some of that background or that previous experience that they've had with higher education. So oftentimes it wasn't a rosy or shiny exit from the institution if they have prior credits. What this does, some of these narratives actually helps them understand the evolution of higher education and how we've adapted. And I say we collectively as college universities, we've adapted to create convenient and flexible approaches that weren't always in existence uh, for the entirety of our, um, our time as college and university. So we find ways to fit this into an otherwise crazy busy life schedule and make this as a compartment, a priority, not the number one priority, but a priority for them to excel in the future. How do we get employers on board? I, I heard you talk about industry and I'm thinking of tuition assistance benefits that you, you mentioned as well. And while this can save those employers money because they don't have to pay for the tuition for what students can already get through credit for prior learning, how do we really leverage that whole sector uh, of our industry partners and, and bring them into the, our university walls? So I think there are many ways, but here are two specifically. First is we as institutions must engage them and say, can we review your training catalog and start to create a database that states exactly what would be translatable for academic credit for what you've already trained them to do? That would then show them that we would be a reciprocal partner in the way of saving them money, uh, acknowledging the value of what they've done uh, and at the corporate training level, and then also um, 
uh, really connecting learners that have done some of this training but need more. The second piece is opening the books to show them the content and curriculum that we have created and we have put forth as an option to our students, showing them under the hood what is involved within these learning objectives, what concepts we're covering, and then also listening and trying to understand what gaps might exist so that we are truly relevant on a day to next day basis that they learn and then they can apply. You know what I love about what you just said, Matt, is so often we hear about aligning career and academic uh, trajectories, right, or the outcomes for students um, so that colleges and universities are better serving the actual workforce needs, or we hear about the ideas of private-public partnerships. But very often it stops there at the idea, and people say, yes, this is great, but what you're talking about are very concrete examples of how to execute that through concrete actions. Yeah, and we do that at the university level and so many other institutions. I think about my uh, my fellow uh, fellow Tracy Robinson down at Memphis, and they do that with FedEx. We do it with UPS. We do it with Humana. We do it with a range of organizations that have a broad population of of um, incumbent workers that will really connect well to our content, but also will be well served by understanding they will be valued for what they've learned up to that moment. And we'll continue to evolve in that space because they're going to continue to learn at the corporate sector as well as um, in their classes. And we try to make a, a perfect symmetry there of that learning and make sure it all connects and that synthesis truly occurs to have a highly engaged and high functioning worker. It's so interesting. You know, this conversation is really about adult learners. And now we're weighing into how colleges and universities truly support their communities. In, in really important and powerful ways. I want to get back to the students because you know we, we talked about how we bring students in. From a college and university perspective, we know the importance of retention, um, not only for the eventual outcome of having college completion and, and graduates, but there's also the financial side that we are much better off focusing on retaining the students we have and not just looking at how do we get students in the door if they're not also staying through. So you talked about this a little bit, but I'd, I'd love to go a little bit deeper. What's the impact that you see of credit for prior learning on retention? Yeah, so what we've seen from the PLA boost and some of the research that we've done at the University of Louisville and some colleagues around the country is that when CPL is implemented, we see a faster path to graduation. So the pace to graduation increases, but also the rate of graduation increases. So those are really key elements of this that demonstrates the true value of uh, credit for prior learning implementation for working learners. Um, so we have continued to try and disaggregate and understand what is happening when we um, support that and how um, that truly benefits these students. And what we've seen is that when we engage in a portfolio process, we see people doing some reflection exercises to truly understand how they've evolved and who they are. Once they have a good perspective on that, become they become better learners for every single class they take after that because they have a sense of who they are, what they know, and how they have gotten to this very moment. They can truly engage in content in a way and think at a deeper level than some of our more traditional students that don't necessarily have that workplace context and experience to draw from. 
I'm curious when you're implementing new credit for prior learning programs or, you know, your colleagues um, in this sphere, if they ever get pushback or, or maybe resistance, um, whether it's from faculty or staff or even leadership uh, around this concept, have, is that something that you've seen? And if so, how do you counteract that? We have seen that very much. Uh, I see it at my institution and so many other folks that have done the scholarship see it as well. It is truly just a lack of awareness because honestly, um, it's hard to see how one could evaluate and assess uh, in a rigorous manner um, learning objectives without going through a course. Um, many traditional faculty see that as the pathway for a person to evolve and to understand a range of concepts. We uh, push back on that saying some of these individuals have learned these concepts and we have a process through an experiential learning model to evaluate very rigorously those learning objectives and see if they have been met. Um, in that process at so many institutions results in really high quality um, outputs. And those can be in portfolio form or test-based form or course match forms. Um, and we are trying to standardize these forms and these approaches nationally through the Prior Learning Assessment Network um, and other folks that are connected uh, to this work all over the country. And I'm, I'm incredibly thankful for organizations like CCA for giving this platform, the Graduate Network, the Association on Continuing Higher Ed, and then, of course, Kale. Um, we have so many collective individuals that are toiling away to try and break down this skepticism, and we're making great inroads because we're seeing um, more adoption of CPL as a standard practice at more and more institutions across the country. You know, one more organization that I'll throw out at the national level is the Competency-Based Education Network. And the reason I say that is if we think about the purpose of higher education, it's to obtain learning. And when you do credit for prior learning, what you are truly doing is you are demonstrating that learning, you're demonstrating that competence. So I think there's real connections with that larger movement as well, looking at learning not through seat time, but through mastery and competence. Yeah, mastery of, of uh, concepts is truly the essence of what we're trying to do in higher education. And when we engage with competency-based programs, we can assert opportunity to engage with modules that allow students to demonstrate that competency. We have a healthcare leadership program at the University of Louisville, and it's really well regarded as a result of the rigor that has been put into those modules and that assessment. Uh, I was just talking yesterday with several of our graduates and they were just raving about the, the specialty that they felt um, in their uh, acknowledgement of learning, but also how they were pushed to grow and to develop via those modules, um, because they were drawing on context, they were taking their learning uh, to a much deeper level uh, when introduced uh, with new and important conceptual and theoretical frameworks. You know, we hear so much about the value of belonging um, from colleges and universities and, and how they can set a tone for students or not. And this very much validates we, respect you as a student and the learning that you're already bringing to uh, our institution. Yeah, we often um, try to do that through PLA and that establishes what I call um, a solidarity movement among our learners. 
Because a lot of the research that we've looked at, as well as what we've conducted at the University of Love and Beyond, has said that life is going to happen to adult learners. It is just a fact of um, our existence that once we reach a certain age, we're going to have a sick child or a sick parent. We're going to have a military deployment. We're going to have a significant um, medical event. We are going to um, go through divorce. Those kind of things just exist for so many adults. Thankfully, I've not gone through too much of that, but I think back to my doctoral program and my father in the hospital and I'm typing on the end of the bed. This is the reality of our adult learners. And if we cannot accommodate them with very flexible approaches, we will lose them. And that's why we've been successful at the University of Louisville and so many other institutions have been successful because they've created a solidarity movement. And that truly means when you're walking alongside somebody, and they fall down, you pick them up. When it's hard to pick them up, two more people come by and they help too. When we are collectively engaged in this work, people feel the belonging and do not wanna let each other down because of that long held goal to get to the finish line. And you will reach back every single time when you know someone would do it for you and would commit to that no matter what happens in life. You're a complete College America fellow, and our listeners know about CCA and, and that we are very focused on a college completion and an equity agenda. We, we see the two really uh, inextricably linked. I'm curious how you would talk about both the concept of credit for prior learning and this concept of returning adults and really thinking of adult learners. How do these contribute to both of those agendas? Well, quite honestly, we see that uh, persons of color do not persist at the same rate as their white counterparts. Therefore, when we think about adult learners, oftentimes we have more adult learners of color coming to our program, and we absolutely love that. We've been very, very intentional about building our team to make sure that we have representation. I mean, those people reflecting back the, the constituents that we serve, the students we serve. Also looking at our content through a very strict lens to make sure that we have representation of a broad array of diversity in our uh, curriculum. So those are key elements to make sure that when individuals come back, they see themselves, they know it's possible, and they know they have support the whole way through. Also, we are, we are developing, and even though it's under attack, we are developing a diversity, inclusion, uh, community engagement, and equity track within our program. We think it's important for industry to think about these concepts and to engage their workers in a way that will make them feel valued, included, and empowered. Uh, we are going to commit to that idea so that we can infuse this into workplaces and know that they can commit with us and know that we are committed to that work as well. You know, we, we closely watch the college attainment rates in states and nationally. And the only way that states are going to meet those goals that they've set out for themselves is by bringing adult learners back. It's not going to happen just from the students who are graduating from high school going directly into college. So we need to engage our adult learners. And when we look at our populations, we need to make sure that all populations are achieving those college completion goals 
not in the aggregate, but just aggregated. And we do need to have a targeted universalistic approach if we're going to reach those goals. Yeah. I mean, Nathan Grawl put it best when he published the research on the demographic cliff. 15% of those people, because of uh, the Great Recession, were not born. And they're about to turn 18 in a couple of years. So we as institutions have finally accepted that fact. And I'm very grateful to have now a seat at the table for oftentimes a marginalized subpopulation of students. And that is those adults. I love being part of the conversation now because we can truly engage with employers. We can engage with the public. We can engage with the community to find ways and pathways to for flexible and convenient um, approaches to get them back and through. And while adults may be a marginalized population, I actually think it's the reality of college students as we change the narrative of who we think of as college students. So yes, some college students are coming directly out of high school and going onto residential four-year university campuses, but that's not the reality for so many of our students. And we need to build our systems and our structures around the needs and the lived experiences of the students who we have today. Yeah, roughly 76% of American going uh, college-going students have some form of non-traditional characteristic, right? So they are uh, independent from financially from their family. They are not living on campus. They're not attending full-time. They're working full-time. They have children and on and on and on. Um, but 24% of the population get the vast majority of focus, effort, and scholarships. We need to change that narrative. We need to understand the true nature of America's college-going population and adapt the way that we support them financially, but also through services. We can't close. We can't have an eight-to-five situation, and that's it. We have to find ways to adapt and, and really accommodate those work, that working population in a way that will help them persist to graduation and not make them feel completely forgotten in the process. I mean, that is such a great call to action. That's actually why we invited you onto this podcast so we can think about and strategize around how we can better serve these students. I'd like to ask you just one final question, which is when you look out into the future and thinking about CPL and adult learners, what do you see in the next 10 years? So I'd like to go first back and, and put you into a mindset and the listeners, listeners into a mindset of, what did you think about online learning 10 years ago? It might not be so rosy and shiny what you considered uh, the quality of online learning 10 years ago. Now think about where you are today. Think about what's happened in the pandemic and think about what you've seen in the evolution of online learning, the quality, um, the rigor, and then also the commitment from institutions. We see growth in that. We see that it's obviously a pathway that is um, a good option for so many. Very similarly, I think you're going to see such a rapid acceleration in uptake and inclusion of CPL in the future of higher education. Not only because the imperative and the numbers exist that they're just not enough traditional age students, but the minute we acknowledge and value these people that are working and have worked for many years with some form of academic credit, we empower them, we inspire them, and we create the belonging necessary to, to head towards greater levels of persistence. I think, if I project into the future, 
that we see more community colleges, we see more four-year institutions eclipsing their graduation rate by upwards of 10 points. I think it can happen. And it can happen specifically if we're intentional about credit for prior learning and truly creating a sense of belonging through that type of process to get us to the finish line. Well, I think that uptick will be because of uh, visionary and amazing leaders like you, Matt. So thank you so much for joining today. And for all of our listeners out there, thank you for listening in to today's episode of CCA on the Air. Again, my name is Brandon Protus, Assistant Vice President for Alliance Engagement at Complete College America. I've had the real pleasure of speaking with Dr. Matt Bergman. He's an Associate Professor of Organizational Leadership at the University of Louisville as well as our very own CCA fellow. Please join us for future episodes while we continue to talk to amazing leaders of higher education. Thanks, Matt. Thanks so much for having me, Brandon.